Thank you, thank you, thank you. Were you singing back there in the trap set, Andy? Man, Phil Collins, huh? (laughs) We are in the book of Hebrews this morning. Tenth chapter, Larry read the passage for us. If you'd like to turn back there, I'd invite you to do that. As you do, I want you to think about this question. Who is the most important person with whom you've ever had a conversation? Who's the most important person with whom you've ever spoken? Now, let, me, let me clarify a, a couple things. By important, I, I am talking about in sort of the world's terms. You know, somebody famous, somebody well-known, maybe you know, a movie star or a pro athlete or um, a musician, somebody way high up in business or government or, or, or something like that. That's what I mean by important. Now, I know some of you are thinking these very holy thoughts like, well, my wife or my husband or my mother or my child is the most important person in my life. And I'm not arguing that, okay? I'm not, I get that. But I mean a person that if, if a friend of yours saw you talking to them, your friend would think, man, how does he know him? That's what I mean. Who's the most important person with whom you've ever had a conversation? And I, I guess I should say, too, maybe conversation is, is too, too strong of a word. Uh, I don't necessarily mean this long, deep, you know, soul-bearing talk. But it has to be more than just a wave and a hi, hello. You know, a significant interaction. Who is that for you? You have that in your mind? Anybody ever had a conversation with the president? Prime Minister, you know, the Pope, <laughs> or Cardinal, movie star, anybody, movie star, movie star, oh, all right, pro athlete, pro athlete, there's few, yeah, yeah, Taylor Swift, anybody, <laughs> Taylor Swift, you got who that is in your mind, I don't mean Taylor Swift, I mean who, who you've talked to, um, for me, it would, it would be Senator McConnell. Uh, I've mentioned this before, a number of years ago. He visited Wilmore. He invited local church pastors to meet with him and talk about the spiritual state of the state. And, and there were just surprisingly few of us that showed up. And so I was really, I was pleasantly surprised at how candid and honest the conversation was. I was surprised at how short he is too, I, but I, that's beside the point. Um, I also remember a lot about the conversation, which, you know, that's not surprising. Uh, We remember the important people we've spoken with. We tend to remember them, right? Uh, We remember the significant things we've seen. We remember even where we were when big historical events happen in our world. Those moments make impressions upon us that are not quickly forgotten. So, why do you suppose we so easily take for granted our conversations with God? Huh? You ever thought about that? I mean, he's, he's El Elyon, God Most High. He's the creator of the universe. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. So, so why, why do we tend to put off 
talking to him. Prayer. Why would we do that? Why do we resist taking time to listen to him? Um, Why do we, at times, minimize or even forget what he says when we pray? Uh, Why do we go to him last with our troubles instead of first? Why do we go to him more than we do since we have the opportunity? You know, at this point in his letter, the the writer of Hebrews has just finished a a major theological presentation, uh, a work, in fact, that some compare in significance to the book of Romans, though Hebrews is not ever given the attention that Romans Gets probably because we know the Apostle Paul wrote Romans, but we're not exactly sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Just the same, the topics that the author covers in these first 10 or so chapters include really big things. If you've read through the book of Hebrews or studied the book, you know. uh, He includes things like Jesus' intentionality in his saving work. Hebrews tells us that Jesus wasn't just a passive victim of the aggression of others, but that Jesus came to do what he did and and to do it for us. He did what he did for us. We are loved that much. That's, That's a theological reality that he conveys. Hebrews also speaks strongly of both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus and how he holds those two in tension in his unique, truly unique person. You see, apparently God knows that the only way to have experience is to have experience. (laughs) So God himself became human so he could be sympathetic to our condition. It says in chapter 4, Jesus was in every respect tempted as we are, yet, of course, he remained without sin. Uh, He became like us. That's another big theological concept. Hebrews also talks strongly of the Christian life as a pilgrimage. Uh, To this group of believers to whom he writes, they were people who were tempted to give up on Jesus and go back to Judaism. To that group of people, the writer emphasizes their need to keep going, to keep going with Jesus, to keep pursuing the goal of entering into God's promised rest, which he compares with Abraham's pursuit of a city with foundations. He he tells them that just like Abraham and his forebears were nomads in a place that they didn't belong, we are like them too. But one day, We will have a country that is our own. Because of Jesus, we will have a place where, he says, we can drop our anchor. Chapter 6, he gives that illustration. We can have a place that is truly home. So those are all all big theological concepts the writer explores in this book. But I'll say this, none are more striking, especially to the, the writer's Jewish Christian audience, none are more striking than this declaration that he makes that Jesus ends the need for all Jewish priestly practices. Jesus ends the Jewish priesthood. That was a big deal. Because of Jesus' perfect, 
once for all, sacrifice on the cross. The world has no more need for a human priesthood or a temple or, or animal sacrifices or any of the other trappings of the Jewish priesthood. So, so Jesus ends the Jewish priesthood. Now, you understand why the chief priests were set on putting Jesus to death, right? Um, now, none of that was, was supposed to be a surprise to anybody, you know? Uh, long ago, God promised all of this stuff. In, back in the Old Testament, we see it in Jeremiah, we see it in Hosea, we see it in the Psalms. This was not supposed to be Jesus' announcement and Jesus' work. And so this announcement that, hey, the priesthood is, is passed, the, 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 the Jewish priesthood is passed, none of that was supposed to be a surprise. But, but it seems that very few really saw it coming, which is why the author here invests all this time and effort that he does, all the explanation, all the words up to now, presenting this reality. And why? Telling them why. Explaining to them why Jesus ends the Jewish priesthood. No more cutting up animals. No more coming to the temple once a year for atonement sacrifices. No more going through all of that in order to get to God. That is a big, big, big deal. In the Old Covenant, even the most serious Faith-filled Jew, when they would come to the temple, they could only get so far. They could only get so close to God. Even after keeping all the laws and the sacrifices and living a life of integrity the best they could, when they came to the temple, when they came to the sanctuary, they could not get to the inner chamber of God. They could not even see inside. The closest they could get was, was the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. But you see now, in Jesus, verse 20 says, the curtain has been opened. The curtain has been removed, in fact. That innermost chamber, that place where only the high priest could enter once a year, the Holy of Holies, the most intimate company of God, the curtain, that restricted access that's been torn away. And the very dwelling place of God has been opened to us by Jesus. Who, by the way, does not just sit there uninterested. Uh, from there, from the side of God, Jesus calls to us. He asks, he invites, he, he, he draws us. He says, come in without fear. Come in without hesitation. Jesus welcomes us into God's presence simply by trusting in him. His sinless life and death and resurrection made a way for all who will to come back to God. He welcomes us into the closest intimacy possible with God, our Heavenly Father, the one who made us. You see, after all these centuries... Jesus tore down the barrier that kept us apart from the most important person with whom we could ever converse. It's like, 
It's like Jesus just going in and taking down all of the barriers that keep us out of the, the governor's office, you know, or, or the Oval Office. Uh, Jesus did away, effectively, with that, you know, that, that bulletproof plexiglass bubble thing on top of the Pope mobile? You know, Jesus just took it off. He took it off. He's the king's guard. You know what that is? There's those British soldiers with the big furry black hats. They protect the king. Jesus sent them and all the secret service people and all those bodyguard kinds of people that keep the world's common people away from the world's so-called important people. Jesus sent them all on vacation. Permanently. Only better. (laughs) Jesus personally takes us into the very presence of the maker. Of the father. The holy the living God. All we need to do is to have our hand in his. If we will, by faith, then the words we hear from that place are, oh, oh, you're with him? Then come right in. Come right in. That is the theological reality of what Jesus has done. And so the practical implication of that is that we who follow Jesus, we can speak directly. We can converse directly with God. And that is the glorious gift that Jesus has given to his church. We have direct access to the mind and the heart and the will and the wisdom of God himself. We can go straight to the source of every good thing. And we can ask his opinions, and we can hear his assessments, and we can listen to his perceptions. And, and we don't need an appointment. He's open 24 hours. There's no receptionist screening his calls, you know. There's no special agents blocking his doors. We don't even need to pay for parking. <laughs> uh, unprecedented access to God, to his father And to our Father, that's what Jesus, the great high priest, the priest to end all other priests, that's what Jesus has given us. And all of this is because God is for us. He wants us to know his mind. And he wants us to enjoy his good. And he wants us to overcome evil and succeed in life. He wants us to become holy as he is holy. He wants for us his best. Some people don't believe that, but that's really true. God wants for us his best. And all of this he's willing to give us. If only we would come to him and connect with him. (laughs) If only we would give him our attention. If, If only we would hear his voice. If only we would bring to him our concerns and those of the ones that we love. If only we do as he says, as he asks, as he invites, this glorious gift of intimate connection with God himself and all of the resources that come along with that, Jesus has made available if only we would receive it. And that's what prayer is. The receiving of this gift of connecting with God. 
That's why the temple was called a house of prayer. And that's why the church, followers of Jesus, we are to be a house of prayer, a people of prayer. That's why Jesus said of his followers, not if, but when you pray. You know, Jesus presumed that followers of his would want to have an intimate relationship with God. Why would you follow Jesus if you don't? That's also why the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Now, that does not mean walking around all day, muttering prayers, looking down, not engaging in other people and not engaging in life. Nor does it mean standing on street corners, displaying our spirituality for others to see. Jesus had quite a bit to say about people like that. To pray without ceasing means understanding, embracing, and using this gift of constant, intimate access to God. And this is why churches, and and our church included, tries to emphasize prayer. You know, both individual and and corporate prayer. Because God intends for all of us to live close to him. That's what he wants. This is the life, this is the connection with God that Jesus died to make possible. Unprecedented, constant, and powerful access. The ability to converse directly with none other than God Most High. God Most High, El Elyon. Now, of course, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to pray. God, God wants us to live in a, in a constant state of connection with him so, so we can call to him anytime. That's true. In addition to that, there are, there are all sorts of schedules and mechanisms and guides that people have published through the years, all sorts of sources that can deepen and broaden our ability to hear God and, and to, to guide our prayers, maybe to know how exactly we could pray or how we should pray. There's all kinds of stuff like that out there. The important thing is that everyone following Jesus is moving always closer to God. Becoming more and more intimate with God. More and more in touch with his will. More and more capable and, and powerful in prayer. That's the goal. That's the invitation. That's what Jesus died to make possible. That's what God wants for all of us. But you know, along these lines, as a church, we do identify some specific ways of prayer that we feel are important in, in a corporate way. And so we're all invited to participate in some of those. Uh, and this morning, as, as is uh, one morning every fall about this time, we, uh, we give an invitation to participate in these specific ways. Okay? Those are listed on a yellow paper that is in your, in your worship folder. So if you, if you would, would you take that out and just take a look at it with me? If you've been a part of our church uh, for at least a year or over, a little over a year, you've seen this before or something like it. Okay? About this time every year, we highlight it. Because we want everyone to know about these opportunities. But also, we highlight it because for some of these listed here, we need to know your interest so that we can include you. (laughs) Um, it's, It's just that simple. There's a practical reality to it. Now, the second group 
This starts about a third of the way down the page there. Uh, it has a heading that says, I'd like more information or to join. Uh, those are, there's a list of a variety of church prayer groups that, that you're welcome to be a part of. I mean, there's men's prayer, women, sorry, it's a men's prayer. There's women's prayer, men, it's for women. There's youth, that's for youth. But everything else is for all different kinds of people. Uh, so you're, you're welcome to be a part of those things. Um, all the when and the where information is listed on there. So you can just show up at that time and place listed, or if you want more information about them, about how they work, uh, exactly how it works, just, just put a check mark by that line, and we will get that to you. But it's really the top part of the page that we need to hear from you about. Uh, the first line is first for a reason up there. Uh, we want every person and every family unit in, in our church to be prayed for regularly. And so if you would be willing to commit to pray for five or six or so other people in the church, other people, families, a family in the church, it's basically a page out of the directory that will come out in a month and a half or so. Uh, if you'd be willing to say, I will pray for five or so people, maybe six, depends on how many we get to, to agree, um, would you just check that first line and we will get a page, that directory page to you. That's how this works. Um, the next two lines, we'd like people to commit to pray for a teen or adult in, uh, involved in our just general youth ministry and or on our Bible quiz team. That's the second, second two lines there. If you're willing to pray for somebody, uh, one of our teens or one of the adults that are leading our teens in one of those two ways, check those lines. And we'll get a name to you. So you can pray specifically for that person. You can even get to know the person with whom or for whom you're praying. The next line there is prayer news and notes. That We had an announcement about that not long ago. That is an email that comes from the church office most weekdays with prayer needs and occasionally a reminder of events that at least most of us need to, to know about. So if, if you're not on that list and you'd like to be, check that and we'll put you on. If you want to continue to be on that list, I'd encourage you to check that as well. And the last one there is about receiving an email for all the praises and the prayer requests that are shared at each Wednesday night prayer meeting. Uh, now, let me say, it would be great if, if you could come on Wednesday night and pray and, and contribute to, to the meeting. We realize that some just cannot do that. But if you're willing to share in the praises and if you're willing to pray for the needs, then check that and the office will email that list. They email that every Friday. These are, these are all ways to, to expand our practice of prayer, specifically to pray for one another and, and to engage with the Lord on behalf of our church family. Now, we know that all of these things are not for everybody. Our, our spiritual maturity does not depend on how many of these we check. Okay, These are just opportunities, but they are important opportunities. So w would you take that sheet and mark it as the Lord would lead you. We'd, we'd like to get one from every person. So if you're sharing a worship folder and there's only one in there, um, there's extras of these back at the Welcome Center in the foyer. Mark what you want to continue to participate in and also maybe what the Lord is asking you to add or subtract. Or maybe mark what you'd like more information about. And then slip those into the offering boxes. Uh, you know, the wooden ones, they're new, uh, mounted on the walls right outside 
as you leave the sanctuary. If you want more time to consider or, or to, to pray about what you're going to pray about, you can turn this in any time over the next week or so. Uh, but I'd encourage you really to turn it in today so you don't lose track of it. There, even though it's yellow, it's easy to lose. Um, we just want to give all the opportunity we can to make this house, to make our church family a house of prayer, but also to make this, this house, each of us individually, Houses of vibrant, real, effective prayer. The opportunity. What is God saying to you about expanding, deepening, maybe broadening your prayer life? The fact is he has more resources available to us than any of us are taking advantage of. He's always drawing us, as C.S. Lewis writes, he's always drawing us further up, and further in to himself. It's a gift to be able to go with Jesus deeper with the Father in prayer. And so we just don't want to miss wherever he wants us to go. Father, would you help us to see, would you help us to realize what a tremendous opportunity Jesus has made for us what a, a glorious gift that we have in prayer, in, in connecting, in, in conversing with you. Thank you for the intimacy that you offer. Thank you for the wisdom that comes from listening to you, from being able to know your mind, from being able to confide in you all of our cares and our frustrations and to hear your solutions and all the ways you're making us and those we love into new people. Father, help us to be faithful in every way possible to open this glorious gift that you offer to us and and to use it to engage with you for our sake and for the sake of our world, uh, but really just for the sake of your glory. Help us to come to you willingly, to go where you want us to go in prayer so we might know you and your will, and so we might walk as closely with you as can be, and so that our prayers might be powerful and effective. We give ourselves to you in prayer, and we thank you for the gift that prayer is. In Jesus' name, amen.